creeds and criticism meet. Split Frame of Reference Podcast. Welcome to the Split Frame of Reference Podcast. I'm Nick. And I'm Allison. And today we've got a special guest for you, um, Kate Wallace Nunnally. Um, she's co-founder of the Junior Project with her mother, Gail Wallace. Uh, she planted a church and is a current lead pastor at Wellspring Free Methodist Church. Um, something else, uh, Kate has a background in economics. Uh, she taught for a number of years, and she has a degree from the London School. And I believe uh, she's currently getting an MDiv from APU. Yep. So welcome, Kate, from the Junior Project. Thanks for having me on. So just in case anyone is wondering, no, the baby is not from us. The baby sounds are not from us. Uh, I'm only 32 weeks old. <laughs> So. Um, so if you hear a baby, um, it's it's uh, it's Kate's, and um, if you hear a cat crying excessively, um, it's ours. That's because, that one's ours. Yeah, he's crying for cats to come visit him. That's what he does. <laughs> right. And so welcome. It's been a long time coming, and we're stoked to have both of you here with us today. <laughs> Thank you. Me and Jonathan are very excited to be here. So what's the what's the story behind the Junior Project? It's uh, we've been fans and working with you on that a little bit here and there for a while. And so yeah. what's the genesis of that project? Yeah, and what and what is it for those that don't know? Yes. Uh, Junior Project is one of Nick and I's favorite, um, I guess, pro- well, projects. Project, yeah. uh, so <laughs> and um, it's very much loved by CBE and yeah. So please tell us a bit about what our viewers or listeners about what it is and kind sure. of how it came about. Um, well, the Junior Project is an <laughs> online community. <laughs> Sorry, Sorry. Oh, um, the Junior Project is an online community of men and women who advocate for egalitarian <laughs> theology and um, the partnership of men and women in the church. And we function as a blog and a website. We also do various um, events and podcasts like this. So it's it's fun. It's a great um, it's a great online group. We started kind of as an accident um, in 2013. My mom and I did a presentation at Azusa Pacific University where we were both teaching, and we did a presentation. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> we did a presentation on um, uh, egalitarian history of Azusa Pacific um, because we felt like students there didn't know that about the school they were in and uh, that they would find that interesting and fascinating. And uh, so we, we did a presentation on the historical roots of APU being egalitarian and it people, we just filled the room and people... Mm. Um, where it had so many questions about the equality of men and women in the Bible, and we there was there wasn't enough time, so we had a second group over to my parents' house um, a week later, and fifty people showed up. Wow! Um, and they uh, came with we had them split into groups and answer questions about their experience in the church with men and women, and 
um, we kind of taught like a lesson and we asked them what they wanted and they said they wanted online resources for this. Um, and so we started a Facebook page called it the Junia project after, uh, the apostle Junia who's listed in the book of Romans. Um, and yeah, it was just a Facebook page for a few months, um, that quickly exploded. And so we started a, a blog because we were sharing all the resources we could find, but we felt like there were some holes and we wanted to, we wanted to fill those holes with our own writing, but we never really expected it to turn out to be a big thing on its own. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's amazing. Um, I just remember all of a sudden seeing people constantly posting, resharing things from the junior project. Uh, I think it really got just basic egalitarian uh, interpretations of scripture and topics out there on the internet. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, we, that was our, that was one of our goals is we, um, there's this idea in the marketing industry called accumulation of minimal effects. And when we started this, um, when we started the junior project, there wasn't a lot online about yeah. this topic. Um, it was really Rachel Hall Levins and Sarah Bessie were really the only ones talking about it. Yeah. And, uh, so we thought, well, so there's more stuff being shared than it's, it's on people's phones and on their computers and people look at that all day. So they'll see it and then it won't become as taboo to think about or talk about. So that was kind of one of our goals is get in front of people, make it really accessible. We just take little nuggets of theology and try to make it really adaptable. We're not as academic as some. So it's, we just try to make it, um, more like for the masses. Yeah. I think, uh, Christians for biblical equality, their strength has been, um, really they've made a huge splash. Um, this little organization made a huge splash in, in academia. Uh, they also have popular level materials, especially for, uh, I guess you could say their magazine. Um, but you guys, um, I think were able to accomplish on the, in the blogosphere, um, just getting the word out like crazy in ways that are quality and not superficial at all. Oh, well, thank you. We're, we're so happy to hear that. We absolutely loved doing it. And, um, I think it sparked a really good conversation. We also loved that, um, you know, we didn't call it like the blog after our names. We yeah. wanted it to be something that other people could write under. Um, cause we knew there were all these other people who wanted to talk about this or who had their own personal blogs and had one or two blogs on this topic. But we knew that, um, if we had a platform, all of them could come and write for it. Yeah. Mm. And so it's been really fun to have all these different voices, including the two of you on there <laughs> <That's> and, <true. laughs> yeah, <laughs> and sharing, um, little bits of, your knowledge and it's so helpful than, ha than just having two people trying to, um, trying to pretend like we know all of these things. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. And, and, it, and it's just incredibly difficult. I, I, I mean, you know, this as well as I do, you know, you, you learn really heady stuff in seminary and then you go and you realize you have to sort of kind of maybe preach on it in the local church. And there's kind of that, <laughs> yes. that divide between church and the academy, um, which shouldn't be the case of course, but it just kind of sometimes is. And what Junior Project has done, and I, I think uh, most egalitarian pastors have to kind of wrestle with, is the idea of how do we make this accessible to people and, go, and, and, and in a way that actually shows the actual core of the evidence and the material and what it says versus 
or as opposed to just saying, you know, pulling, well, pulling the rhetorical opposite and basically saying, well, we're right and we're this. Yeah. And being able to kind of break stuff down for people in a way that they can understand it is, is, is a real gift. And, um, I'm showing my Wesleyan Baptist roots when I talk about gifts and calling, but, uh, there, <laughs> there is that sort of emphasis. And I think, uh, junior project, at least for me, has captured that kind of space really well. And there's not a lot of space for that, that I've seen. And so I think there's something else to be, um, taken seriously just as a project. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And I totally know what you're talking about with trying to take a big theological idea and making it more applicable to preaching or to people who would be in the pews. Um, so I'm glad that that came across. It's been funny transitioning into being a pastor from being a writer because yeah. I think blogging like that really helped me um, in sermon writing. Because that's exactly what you try to do. Right. And it's one of those things you could talk about, I don't know, kefale or authenteo all day long. But if someone can't <laughs> under, can't understand what you're actually trying to say, I mean, right. all they need to do is find John Piper or Wayne Grudem who says it means this. And they're, oh, well, that makes more sense than what I heard somewhere else. And, yeah. you know, I, totally. I, I don't fault people for going where they think the evidence leads on that. But there is a sense of... Uh, <laughs> breaking down the complexity of, of the entire debate is, is a, is a, is a level of jujitsu and theological, you know, ninja stuff that I, <laughs> I don't know who else can do that very well. So. Oh, well, thank you. That's a big compliment coming from you all. You are, know your stuff so well. <laughs> and I believe, um, you guys are still taking submissions. Is that correct? We are, um, our site, we've honestly, because my mom and I have both, stepped into ministry in the last few years. You're uh, allowed to do that? <gasps> <laughs> yes. We haven't been doing as much active blogging. Um, so we're hoping to step back into that this year now that we kind of got our footing under us in these new positions. And then we're hoping to, yeah, kind of do that more. But we are taking submissions and we uh, still post some new stuff every now and then. Yeah, I think, let's see. Uh, on your website, where can they go to? So if one of our um, listeners has, I mean, several several people uh, blog or write for other places. Um, some people are teaching. Um, some people just have good ideas. Where can they go to submit an idea for an So article? if you go to, yeah, if you go to juniaproject.com, that's J-U-N-I-A project.com, there's a tab that says submit a guest post. And there's a whole um, paragraph that explains what we're looking for and the length and all of that. So that should that should be everything you need. There we go. It's right at the top. Submit a guest post on the right-hand side. Perfect. All right. So I guess um, how I've heard a little bit of the backstory in terms of um, some of your work with, you know, where this started. What? What, what kind of inspired uh, you guys to, I guess, first give that initial presentation and then decide to actually do a whole blog on it? Like what, what was, I guess, in you that made you think that this has to get out? That's a great question. My mom and I both have our um, separate uh, journeys to becoming egalitarian ourselves. Um, so I'll let her tell hers when she comes on your podcast for something else. Nice. <laughs> um, Hint, but, <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Um, but for me, I had grown up in a church plant that both my parents helped to found. And the two reasons they really split off of the church they came from was that they wanted to be seeker friendly. This was in the 80s and 90s where that was a big thing. And they wanted to be egalitarian. And the church that they were breaking off from wasn't, had just hired a new pastor who wasn't all about either of those things. Mm -hmm. So a bunch of different couples split off. And so I watched, you know, men and women do everything because of the church plant. We needed everybody. Um, And I never really heard this idea that women shouldn't be doing certain things in the church until uh, in eighth grade, I transferred to private Christian school from public school. And my female Bible teacher taught that women shouldn't teach the Bible. (laughs) You can't make this stuff up. So I sat in my Bible class as she, you know, kind of laid this out. And I'd never heard this before. And so I just raised my hand and started asking a bunch of questions um, that just came to my mind. Because I was like, well, that doesn't make sense. Because then what do you do about Phoebe? And that doesn't make sense. Because then what do you do about Deborah? And I had all these questions, and she didn't know the answers to them. Mm. Um, mm. And so I, you know, like came home and asked my mom, you know, like any eighth grader would, and was like, what do we believe about this? And she, both my parents are academics, so they didn't want to just tell me what to believe. So she gave me three stacks of books. Nice. <laughs> That's the greatest gift you can uh, give to someone. It's just a stack of books. Sounds like my experience too. <laughs> a lot of overlap. So from eighth grade through college, basically, I started sorting through patriarchal theology and complementarian theology and egalitarian theology and talking to anyone who would listen and anyone who had an opinion and kind of forming my own. And, um, So I came out of that study believing that the Bible teaches a full equality of men and women and that women can lead and teach and pastor in the church alongside their brothers in Christ with no limits. Um, And that's kind of, I had a passion for that ever since. I think because I was at a school where they made it a point to teach against that, Mm -hmm. it kind of spurred something in me. Um, because I then went to that high school and one Bible teacher in particular, it was supposed to be a class on prayer. And, um, he every day instead would teach why women needed to submit to men. So Hmm. that gave me a lot of practice in talking through these kind of theologies and asking a lot of questions and, um, arguing back. Um, I also got kicked out of a lot of classes. Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) So I was always, you know, sitting on the, on the wall outside of Bible class, but you know. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's interesting to think like just, uh, historically where we're at. I mean, so, so, so often these ideas just kind of went unchecked, but we're at a time in history where, you know, women are number one, actually being educated. So they're going um, not just high school, but to, you know, undergrad and then higher ed. And mm-hmm. um, so they're able to start thinking for themselves. And, you know, not surprisingly, some of these ideas are getting challenged. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes they're being accepted, too. But it's just kind of an unprecedented uh, time in history, I think. <laughs> well, it's, it's, yeah. it's that weird point where women are given the freedom to choose between multiple theological options, and they're educated enough to know what 
what stinks and what doesn't. And so not to say yeah. that you know, women never knew that sort of stuff, but now there's just that educational explosion. And it's like, well, now you're alongside us at the table. Now we can talk about it and hash it out as it always should have been. And that's something, actually, yeah. a, a book I recently read, um, The Gospel According to Eve, I believe, uh, pointed out that also, you know, in, in years back, you know, you would get maybe just a few women who were scholars and they would oftentimes keep like kind of almost reinventing the re wheel, like discovering, oh, you know what? I don't think, you know, that the Bible's teaching that women are limited in this way or this way. And so that was their finding. And then they would get lost kind of in history. And then another mm -hmm. woman would make kind of the same um, realization. But here we are, like we have access to these things. Mm -hmm. um, like I, there's a whole mm -hmm. database with, you know, CBE, just scholarship in general, like it, it just amazing amounts of research and scholarship at our fingertips from other women and mm -hmm. men that have different perspectives on the Bible. Yeah. And it's, and it's really interesting because for the first time in history, you also, like you said, women are being educated, but women also are at the table. You yes. hinted at that, Nick, mm -hmm. like, Women are on translating committees now. Yes. Women are writing biblical commentaries. Women are teaching in seminary. And that changes it, too, because like you're saying, Allison, then then their voices don't get lost. Yeah. Um, everything that they're coming up with, everything they're discovering, everything they're writing then is being taught. And it can't be as easily ignored yeah. um, or hidden in history. So it's... and and their voices then are becoming some of the prominent voices that people hear, which is really great. But a woman's perspective is, as we've found, very different than a man's. So when a biblical text has only really been interpreted or translated by men, and then it suddenly starts getting interpreted and translated by women, it's no wonder that it's a little bit different. Um, yeah. But this isn't to say that there haven't been men throughout history who have thought this or taught this there certainly have been. Um, but it's just very interesting in this time in history to see these women have more of a voice. Yeah. And interestingly, a lot of these men in history too have had, you know, it, I guess less um, formal encounters with female leader scholars, you mm -hmm. know, whether a sister or, you know, even a, an acolyte and they've been forced to kind of think through, and conceive mm -hmm. of things a little differently. Or, you know, it's so like, true. It's like Wesley's mother, Susanna. I mean, yeah. uh, you, who know, you probably wouldn't have a Methodist church or a free Methodist church or a Wesleyan church or anything like that with, and without Susanna yeah, being who Susanna was called to be in the life of John and Charles. So. Yeah. All right. So, yeah, good transition then. Um, so, you know, you started, you guys started the Junior Project, and then you decided to go back to church planting. <laughs> <laughs> yes that was also kind of an accident you know I hear all these stories of these women who get called into things and it's like you know they feel very prepared and huh. things totally click and make sense in the timeline that they happen and my mom and I always joked with the junior project that it felt like it kind of started like the Holy Spirit kind of <laughs> kicked us and then ran ahead of us and we've been trying to catch up. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of how it felt with church planning as well. Um, we, my husband and I, um, well, I got married and moved to Bakersfield and this is where my husband is from. And we were here 
and there's no Free Methodist Church, but oh. both of us had been members of the Free Methodist Church, he in Santa Barbara and me in Azusa, um, out here in California. Sorry, I haven't said where I am. And so we were, you know, going around the different Wesleyan churches, trying to find one that we, you know, identified with or fell at home in. Um, and there are wonderful people and wonderful partnerships that we've maintained from there in ministry, but we didn't quite find a home. And some of our mentors had been telling us we should plant a church. And we kept saying, no, 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 we're not pastors. We do not want to plant a church. We don't know the first thing about that. <laughs> sounds familiar, Nick? Yeah, a little. Sounds a little familiar. <laughs> um, so... Uh, they let it go, but about six months later, they called us and said, okay, we found you a pastor. He's already ordained Free Methodist, and he's flying out from Texas because his wife is a doctor, and her job got transferred to Bakersfield. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> They're like, will you start a church now? <laughs> and so we were like, okay, if we don't have to be the pastors, then that's fine. Oh, yeah, well, yeah so God tricked you, basically. <laughs> Did a bait and switch. <laughs> that's such a God So that thing. pastor came out. We were working with him. His name was Josh, and Leaf and I... Um, we're kind of on his team and his wife, Megan, it was such a gift that her, of her job because it really allowed the church, like talk about a different kind of pastor's wife, right? Like yeah. her <laughs> income allowed this church to exist without mm -hmm. needing any sort of income, um, which is just really a blessing. And we wow. kind of started this, this church in the middle of Bakersfield um, that is Free Methodist, and one of the things about Free Methodism I love is that it is thoroughly historical in its theology. They're very, um, they have their sides that are very academic and know exactly where they come from, know exactly who they are theologically, mm. and it's, you know, this long history they trace back to Wesley. But they also, um, because, well, because of that, they kind of don't fit into a contemporary um, conservative or liberal mold. They just are who they are. And then as culture shifts around them, sometimes they're considered conservative and sometimes they're <laughs> considered liberal. Um, so right now they're a little bit of both because they have liturgy, they have um, <clears throat> traditions, but they also have women in leadership. They're also really stand for um, uh, all the races worshiping and living together. They, mm -hmm. So there's just a very um, social mind, but very grounded in theology. So it's a really fun mix. I love this denomination. So we so we thought that was a really valuable thing to add to the church landscape of Bakersfield, that kind of expression for those who were looking for something like that. Um, and we've attracted a lot of kind of ex-evangelicals, um, and people who grew up in the church and have been disillusioned, mm. um, and even just people who were following the Junior Project and saw that I was involved in a church plant and <laughs> wanted a female pastor. Yeah. So we have uh, a lot of people there. I was not the pastor in the beginning, but I was on the staff, so I was always involved in the service up front from the beginning. Um, but then a year into our church plant, our pastor's wife, job moved back to Texas. Oh, there we go. <laughs> so, so he told us that he had 
put my name forward as the nice the yeah, yeah. at this point as i'm not sure option. you can say josh actually i'm pretty certain the spirit was like hey just do this and josh was like oh okay <laughs> <laughs> you know it, do it, was, do it. <laughs> it does kind of feel like it was a bait and switch in some in some forms or you could say you know it seemed like josh has this amazing ability to network and plant yeah. a church mm-hmm. and it seemed like god brought him to bakersfield for the certain amount of time and then once it got up and running, you know, it's using his gifts elsewhere. But, um, but yeah, so I really didn't want to be a pastor. I've never wanted to be a pastor. Um, I really loved being a writer. I really wanted to be an academic like my parents. Um, but I had been in seminary for about six months or a year by the time that this opportunity came up. Um, and, I I thought I was just going to seminary instead of getting a theology master's. I was just going to do an MDiv on my way to getting a PhD because I wanted to teach. Yeah, that's standard, yeah. Yeah, and so I was in seminary, and, you know, I'm talking to everyone in the denomination, like, I don't think I should do this, you know, but I'm going to pray about it and, you know, let see what you all think. I didn't tell anyone that five days before Josh told us he was leaving I had heard God say something in while I was taking communion one Sunday that that was like I want you to step up and be more of a pastor here Uh, because I was like that can't possibly be what God was talking about yeah but it comes all of a sudden and (laughs) you just don't know where it came from yeah yeah so I really I think I just really didn't want to be I loved these people I loved this church but I I think being a pastor is a really hard job and I didn't want that hard of a job if I'm honest. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I prayed about it, had some mentors and family and friends pray about it for two weeks. And then finally my husband Leaf said, I have this feeling that you already got your answer mm-hmm. and you're waiting for a different answer. <laughs> like, did you already, you can try. I, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I told him about, you know, when I felt like God was saying to me before we even knew Josh was leaving and he was like, are you kidding me? (laughs) (laughs) It's like, we could have saved two weeks. I knew what that meant. So, um, so yeah, we, we stepped into that, um, with the blessing of our denomination and, uh, our families. And so I've been the pastor there for a little over a year now, the lead pastor. And my husband Leaf is our part-time associate pastor. And well, he's a volunteer, but, and he pretty much works full time, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, (laughs) but he also has a full time job outside the church. Uh, so that's kind of how it happened. It's been a really, it was one of the easiest pastoral transitions we've ever, I've ever heard of Hmm. probably because I was always a part of the initial team. Yeah. Um, so people knew me, I preached once a month. Um, oh so my it was... gosh! <laughs> there we go. <laughs> like, all right, let's make this official. Let's let's just let's just put a bow on this yeah. and just be done with it. He gave you a mentor for a while, so you feel a little more comfortable. And then, yeah. like, all right, we're gonna start. <laughs> so yeah, it's but it did, it has taken my full um, my full capacity to try to transition into this role. Um, what, what, another thing that was interesting, maybe kind of a perspective from a female stepping into this, is my husband and I were trying to start a family mm. around the whole time that this church plant 
was going. Mm. So the the formation of this church and then me stepping into this role all kind of coincided with in a few years long infertility journey. Mm. And um, it was kind of during that time that I realized, you know, serving the people in this church, serving God's children, this is really similar to the work of motherhood. Yeah. You know, like Amen. I feel like I'm called to motherhood. I, I don't have a baby yet. That's what Paul says. <laughs> yep. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and I'm like, well, but I'm called to nurture and care and grow yeah. these people. Um, so I was kind of stepping into that identity as a pastor before just because I wanted to be a mother. Um, hmm. And I was serving in this way. And then, you know, and then this all comes to fruition. I become the pastor and then, like four or six months later, we find out I'm pregnant. So oh, wow. it was, and then, yeah, so then I'm transitioning to learning to be a pastor and then learning to be a mother. So it's a really interesting journey um, that kind of coincided together, yeah. which is why we stepped huh. back from Junia a little bit because it was just a little overwhelming all at once. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, frankly, like you guys still have content out there in our, I think yep. running just fine. Um, that's how you yep. guys set it up at the start, too. Yeah, we still get quite a few views. We still, you know, talk with people as they email in and over social media. And um, we're really hoping to launch some new ideas um, this year, which will be really fun to get back into it. We really miss all the um, activism work. And so, mm. yeah, we're excited to jump into that. My mom, around the time... Uh, just before I became the pastor at my church, she's at a free Methodist church in Azusa, California, mm -hmm. and she uh, became their associate pastor. So we both kind of got called into ministry. My mom's is a little different, though, because she's felt that call since she was like 20. Wow. Um, oh, yes. Wow. And, yeah. and she was always dissuaded from going to seminary because she was a woman. Yeah. Um, and so she never really thought she could do that. And so now that we've found kind of our home and our denomination, she she's flourishing in that, really. It was funny. I was There was a, a guy at our church that was on the search committee that uh, brought me on, and he's done a lot of work um, at Rainbow Acres and a bunch of other places. And he was he walked over to me one day, and he's like, do you know um, a woman who's a pastor in Azusa? And my first thought <laughs> was, okay, Kate's in Bakersfield. Uh, and I, and I wasn't a hundred percent certain that Gail had become a, pa I knew she had been working with the church, but I wasn't sure if she'd become a pastor yet. Not cause you know, for any reason other than I just hadn't heard any updates. And he's like, yeah, Gail Wallace at, at Azusa. I'm like, how the heck did you end up in Azusa? And just told me, he's like, yeah, I saw Gail Wallace at there. I was like, oh, I didn't know she was a pastor. I was just floored. I thought, yeah. I mean, it makes, makes complete sense of gifts and calling. And it, it was something I could totally see, but it was just kind of funny. It's like, oh. She ended up being a pastor. That makes so much more sense. And so yes. that was that was that warmed my heart very much when I got to hear that. Probably about yeah. a couple of weeks ago, actually, pretty recently. Oh yeah. She it suits her so well. I've never so my mom has had so many jobs and so many volunteer jobs. She was a her jobs have been a nurse, a teacher, you know, she went back and got her degree. She's mm -hmm. she's she's done so much. And then in the church plant I grew up in, she's everything from the children's pastor to or children's director, I think they called it, yeah. to um, to elder. So she everything she really did everything except pastoring. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just so fun to see her step into that now. Um, yeah, it just it suits her so well. 
And something to consider, like, you know, if you're, you know, listening and just aren't sure yourself about going into pastoral ministry or, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes, you know, you might be struggling. Um, we've had some people contact us because um, they know women that are in either pastoral ministry or um, wanting to go into that. And they, they want to understand the scriptures better. Um, but something to, to realize that is for, for women, it's actually natural given our context and all the no's that we're told over and warnings we're told over and over again um, to be a lot more uncertain um, about pastoral ministry, even if we believe it's, you know, um, fully okay for women in the Bible. Um, And I mean, I I think um, also the Bible teaches, you know, quite the opposite. And I think there should be a lot more caution and um, discouraging women, frankly. But it, it, psychologically, it's harder for a lot of women to make that um, transition just because of um, the world we live in mm-hmm. right now. And, you know, we, may, we talked about a lot of the ch- po- very positive changes that have happened that are unprecedented, and that's wonderful. But at the same time, women are still having a lot of concrete obstacles um, to not only, um, I guess, you know, funding their education, but also becoming pastors. Um, so... It, and even if you can get that far, you have all these internal barriers too. that others that have not been told over and over again, no, 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 you know, you better watch out. You better be concerned, you know, don't necessarily have. And that's just a human thing. Yeah. The only opposition I got to going to seminaries, a guy was, oh, you're going to Fuller. Ugh, they're liberal. And I'm like, but I was never told basically, <laughs> basically anything else. Like, oh, no, I, are you sure you feel called to ministry? You know, as, mm. as a man, you know, I'm pretty certain like, the Bible has something to say about, you know, you and Adam being, you know, the one who brought sin on the world. And you don't, you know, you know I'm joking. But, <laughs> but you know, I, I never experienced that. I, the worst I got was basically either, you know, Fuller's liberal and, you know, all that sort of stuff. Or <laughs> the opposite of, oh, well, you're going to cemetery. That's where your faith goes uh-huh. to die. And I was like, well, oh, that's, no. <laughs> maybe some faiths have to die in order for good things to happen. But I don't yeah. know. It's not like you never had any doubts either. It's just that like for women, it's also coming from everyone around you going, no, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, or, you know, and just to think about, think about the cumulative effect, not Mm -hmm. just like one or two, but constant. Um, I would like to bring up a Bible verse um, that I'll just share with you guys really quick, um, maybe just as an encouragement. Um, in Galatians 4, 18 and 19, um, Paul actually compares his own apostolic ministry to being a mother. Um, the context is asking um, for them to become more like him. And of course, there's controversy and he, um, Paul feels very wronged um, by these people. But here's here's what he says. Um, it's fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good and to be so always just when I am with you. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. So it's kind of interesting because Paul himself kind of considers himself in a sort of motherly role, um, giving birth mm-hmm. um, to the, to this church. Um, so I love that. Yeah, it's yeah. Powerful. I what I've what I've really been drawn to um, since becoming a mother or being on this journey of pregnancy and then um, being a pastor at the same time is the fact that Jesus also yes. at different times frames his ministry as a mother. Hmm. Um, you know, you have, you have the question, um, you know, what must I do? And Jesus says, you must be born again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and that how, how does one be born again? Well, you have to be born through me. 
Yep. Yeah. And this equating his work on earth of God with us, this huge thing of being a mother and birthing something in your people, in your children, um, which I just, I think is so beautiful, even down to the Eucharist. We serve the Eucharist every Sunday at my church, and it's such a reminder because you have Jesus saying, here is my body, take and eat, which is what a mother says to her baby, you know, mm-hmm. over and over again, sustaining the baby's life through her own body. And we are here to get spiritual sustaining this food um, for our spirits, our souls, and it's Jesus's body. Mm. Um, even this idea that it's his body broken, his blood shed to bring about new life and the, you know, going through labor, that's pretty much what happens. Your body's broken, your blood shed, all to bring this new life into the world. Um, it's such strong female Im- imagery that I didn't really realize before. Yeah. Um, and it's it's just a powerful it's a powerful thing knowing that motherhood is is so similar to serving in ministry. Even Jesus would make that correlation. Yeah, and there's something so much to be said in, in addition to that, because you've got this idea of ministry being defined in, in modern language like um, servant leadership, which basically means still maybe, you know, you put a little... Still not still leadership, but really nice. Yeah, it's still, and... it's still authoritarianism, at least to some extent. Depends on the context. Yeah, um, but the, the language here, I, I've noted just looking at it, it's, it's, it uses the language of, as we see, of, of mother, motherliness, as compared to the paedagogos of the chapter before, which is all about, you know, this, the, the disciplinarian or someone like that. And so rather than being about, you know, Christ, or Paul comparing himself to that previous image, he shifts the metaphor to being uh, a feminine image. And it's, such oh, a, and it's such a complete flip. I mean, you could have paedagogos in the ancient world that were male or female. They were kind of like, you know, teachers, and some of them could be pretty cruel. But here the, the metaphor is completely switched because Paul is just flipped the, meta- the metaphor and, and kind of thrown that aside, basically saying, in order to be like me, or rather to be like Christ, follow my example. And that means an actual giving of self for the sake of other. Yeah. And if mm-hmm. that's the case, then that completely flips what leadership even should be. Not about a strict authoritarianism, but about genuine service. And that, of course, comes with its own perils because, you know. Sure. But that, as a model that Paul lived, I think, I mean, if Paul's a good example as any, as, as a pastor, and, uh, I mean, again, I, I just kind of chuckle because it's like, well, that's something I think as a church, men and women together could easily live into. Um, yeah. And I think that's something that's eminently livable as, as kind of a, a pastoral ethic. Well, yeah. And I as, love that. Yeah, and as a, as a mother, like, mm-hmm. you know, a pregnant, you know, being pregnant, like your, your room is essentially made like it, it's yours, but it's also made for another person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And to sustain and nourish another person. Mm-hmm. And so it's just kind of interesting, like just biblically speaking, that we're essentially, we are, we exist for each other, not just for ourselves. Mm-hmm. And um, even in terms of what you were saying with the Eucharist and, you know, just making those connections in terms of this, this coincides very closely with what a mother does and motherhood. Um, the the Bible throughout the Old Testament and even Paul and elsewhere talks about um, giving life-sustaining milk. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's part of the analogy uh, that's attached to God and then also Paul elsewhere. Mm-hmm. 
So it's just kind of, it's fascinating. And I, I think it gets missed a lot of times because well, I mean, if you're, taken for granted. If you're a hardcore, you know, kind of person, you see that, you, you feel kind of offended by the image. That's not a very, oh, yeah. not a very quote, and I'm using this phrase in a certain way, it's not a very manly way to lead. And it's like, well, maybe you need to redefine yourself <laughs> a little bit and to actually be a, biblical, quote, biblical manhood. This is what it kind of looks like in Paul's case. And I don't know. I just say we just need to be good biblicists about it. Yeah, I, I remember I tweeted um, something a few months back about the feminine nature of the Eucharist and um, and a man responded saying like that why would you defile the gospel so oh horribly like that is such a grotesque image and I just said well Jesus himself equates his ministry to that have you never heard of being born again through yeah. Jesus yeah. you know yeah. like, <laughs> well, like yeah. and it sounded funny to, to his listener too yep Yep, they did not understand. And it's it's a weird concept. But even like that idea that you brought up about um, we need to be servant leaders, that's great. Um, but Scripture really calls us just to be servants. Mm-hmm. Um, and Jesus doesn't <laughs> yeah. really talk much about leadership. Don't call yourself um, a rabbi. Yeah. Right, Don't lead the exactly. way the Gentiles do, lording it over each other. Exactly. In mm-hmm. It's like we miss this because yeah. our... Our culture is so, so ingrained with asking the question, who's in charge, who has authority, mm-hmm. um, and it's just so different when you look at Jesus or Paul's framework of, um, I mean, Jesus was, let me teach you, and then let me die for you, and then you carry this on. You know, that is not mm-hmm. authoritarian. <laughs> did, did Jesus have authority? Yeah, but he sure laid it down. Yeah. Um, and you know, Paul's, we read about the way Paul does ministry, especially in Romans. It's so interesting reading through chapter 16 and all the people that Paul partners with is just amazing. You see, this was really like a network of servants together serving all these churches. Um, and it's such a different image. I think, I think we see what we want to see in our culture. We want to see this one guy up there leading and telling what everyone what to, to do. Yeah, that's cultural. Yeah. Yeah. And and then even just looking at scripture we see it wasn't really run that way. Um so I love a, I love your statement about servant leadership. That's one of my pet peeves. Well, and it's like if, if we take Romans as you said and, and all these Pauline metaphors and all of our experiences just kind of cumulatively um, Romans 12, I think is probably, uh, one of the quintessential texts before you, but before you even get to verses three and following about members, not having all the same function or one body and all that sort of stuff. He begins it with that great admonition to, um, to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. And of course mm. our first thought is, Oh yeah, the men, you know, it's, you know, male centric, we think men, but it's like, he's telling women and slaves and everyone yeah. to view mm-hmm. themselves as something as an offering to God. And that includes vocation that includes sacrifice. And that includes, I would argue, ministry, because that is a true and proper form of worship, is not to be conformed Mm. to the pattern of the world, but to be transformed. And there's a sense in which, you know, being conformed to the image of Christ means you have to give up something, but the whole point is not a transactionalism, but it's a transformational issue. And if that's the case, then, I mean, Paul is basically telling everyone, including women in his audience, offer your bodies up as a living sacrifice. And that includes, I would say, Junior, Phoebe, and all the other women that we all stand in their shadow. Yeah. And I don't know how you feel about this, Allison, but 
going through that experience of pregnancy, you really see what the living sacrifice kind of feels I'll, like. I'll know more later, too. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah, right now, I just notice I get larger, or he's getting larger and larger and larger. And so, third trimester, it's all about, like, it's like, oh my gosh, I have to get my shoes on. Like... <laughs> So it's, it's a little novel still right now, but yeah, it's, yeah, I mean, it's, I was telling Nick, like, I'm, I'm gonna, maybe more so than first and second trimester, I'm gonna be looking forward to having my body back to some extent. <laughs> like, yep. It's, um, well, because it's definitely a sacrifice. Yeah, it's it this is. amazing miracle, but yeah. man, you're like, I just want to take a hot bath and drink a glass of wine. <laughs> and you it know? can't be too hot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the grape juice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, but it's really the story like motherhood starts you know um in pregnancy and it's a journey of sacrifice and I think motherhood is such a great understanding of what we're called to as servants of the gospel because because of that you're not just mentally sacrificing like okay I have to give this for my child you're not just emotionally sacrificing but it's it's completely embodied yeah. And, you know, just to bring out this new life and then to sustain that life when when it's born. And I think it's such a great metaphor because, you know, God became embodied. God came mm-hmm. here. God did this wholly and fully for us to bring us new life. Um, yeah. And it's just a beautiful image. Yeah. And I mean, here's the thing, you know, it, it yeah, it is a sacrifice. Um, but I'd also like to add um, just... Because I think this gets overblown too, and then we gotta get off. Because um, I've got a prior appointment, but um, really, like I, I've also found, like I was told that I wouldn't be able to do a lot of things while pregnant. And I know <laughs> for some women, you know, medical um, things happen. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say this: um, I was nauseated out of my mind in the first trimester, but I was able to. Um, frankly, while also struggling with PTSD, um, finished mm-hmm. my first, um, chapter that was due for, uh, my, uh, PhD program. I was able to prepare to get grilled by a panel. Um, <laughs> I prepared a presentation, um, at the last minute for CBE, you know, <laughs> you know, and even still, I'm, you know, I'm still in the program. Um, you know, I, I have to think differently. I can't just, um stay up late and not take care of my body and just say, Oh, whatever. I'll be fine. You know, but right. at the same time, it, 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 it's not holding me back. There we go. That's awesome. Um, and I, yeah. I know that's been your experience too. Yeah. My, uh, yeah, I would preach with a throw it bag up on the podium <laughs> with me just in case. <laughs> <laughs> Do we got yeah. Never had to use it. Um, yeah, it was, it was, you know, I didn't preach in heels anymore. I preached in flats, but we still got it all done. Yeah, so make adjustments, but, you know, there you are. You know, you're not like, oh, I can't be up here. I'm pregnant. Nope. Definitely not. Well, I don't, yeah, I, I'm, I'm assuming there's kind of, for, for some maybe just because of culture and stuff, there's kind of a shame of being up there and being pregnant. I'm like, I don't know. That's kind of awesome that you're still doing that and fulfilling your <laughs> calling while doing all this other stuff. Like, to me, that's just, I'm. I, if I saw that, I'd just tip my hat. I'm like, I, I don't know how you do that because I know I certainly couldn't do that. <laughs> you know, yeah, I think the, yeah. I think someone someone needs to write a response, maybe to Piper or Grudem. Oh like gosh. anything you can do, I can do. Pregnant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
it's, I mean, it's one of those things where, you know, it's a human thing to be pregnant. You know, it's, it's part of the yeah. human experience. And, you know, we can, and the thing is like women in the Bible who were leading um, and doing churches, they were probably pregnant for most of the time too. Yeah, they didn't have birth control. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people had a lot of children. They saw them die, unfortunately, early um, oftentimes. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of these women, um, like Deborah and others, like probably, you know, they're probably they're holding children. Um, mm-hmm. Probably their children are with them. They awesome. probably have another one along the way. Like, Junior's probably just standing up there in Romans, just doing her thing, holding a kid or two, while Andronicus is probably outside <laughs> doing something. That is such a great image. I love it. Well, it's been great, Kate. Thank you for thank you for coming and taking a moment and like help you know telling us some of your story. And I hope you know it'll be encouraging to a lot of our a lot of you guys out there. Yeah, and thank you for bringing Jonathan. He got quiet. Did Leaf come and grab him, or Leaf came and grabbed him okay. and put him down for his nap? So. Okay. I was like, wow, he, he zonked out pretty quick. So where it was can perfect. where can uh, people find you and and everything? I mean, there's the juniorproject.com, J U N I A project.com. But is there anything else like social media or anything where people can get in contact with you or follow yeah. you for anything? Yep, you can contact Junior Project or um, Kate Wallace Nunley at Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, um, and you can email Kate at JuniorProject.com. And if you have, if you're on a journey trying to discern if you're wanting to go to seminary or wanting to go into ministry, feel free to email me or um, contact me over social media. I'd love to chat with you. All right, wonderful. And thank you so much for giving uh, us your time and. Uh, tell Jonathan thank you for for hanging out as well. And, uh, I will. All right, and keep Thanks breathing. for having me. Take care.